Australia. Quake Cooper for the win. It's on its way. It's on its way. It's gone. Quake Cooper is the man. Hi there and welcome to Pick and Drive Rugby Podcast. We're diehard rugby fans having a weekly chat about all things Aussie rugby. We're real, family-friendly, and positive. So get involved. Get involved. Look, very exciting weekend. We're very keen to talk about the rugby that's unfolding. But before we dive into all that fantastic, uh, I guess, juicy details across Super W Comp and the Super Rugby Pacific, I want to throw over to uh, Ando and Mitch. How are you guys going? You having a good weekend? I'm very well, thanks. Mitch, how about you? Yeah, very good, very good. Um, had the Waratahs game on Sunday this week, so it dragged the whole weekend out for three three games, three days of rugby. So I can't complain there at all. Uh, but it has meant that we have to record on Monday, fitting in that Sunday game to be able to watch and talk about. Yeah, it's pretty hard when you work on a Sunday, mate. So that's why we have to push it back a little bit to make sure that um, Mitch had a chance to actually watch the game and get back get back into it. That's it. Well, very exciting to get into it. Very keen to go through uh, all the details. Should we dive straight into the social platforms, Mitch, so you can cover some of those? I believe Ando has a question for us. Did you oh, want we'll to start first. with the question, Ando, or Ooh. do you want me to go through socials? I have a question, and the question I have is this. If you had to pick your tight five, okay, forward pack, tight five, with one of them from each Aussie super team, who would you be choosing? Okay, so five positions, five Aussie super teams. Who are you going to pick? Uh, Rev, who's your number one? Oh, number one, I'm going to get the Brumbies out of the way and go Slipper. Um, Ooh, I think he's my fit there. Yep. Okay, all right. That's a really interesting pick. Um, Mitch, who would you be going for number one? Angus Bell. Yeah, I'm surprised he didn't go for Bell. Um, but uh, let's see when he goes for the rest of the positions. Uh, two, Rev. Uh, number two, I'm putting the tires in there. I'm going Dave Brucky. I want yeah, him as my hooker nice. at the moment. Very nice. Okay, Mitch. I'll go Fleety Kai too. Okay, cool. Uh, number three, Rev? Uh, Tony Latupo. Can't be anyone else, can it? Can't, can't be anybody else. Mitch, you're the same, I assume? Well, I can't. I can't go with Harry Johnson Holmes since I've already had it. <laughs> so I will go with the second best option, which is Tony Latupo. Okay, absolutely brilliant. And then um, number four, or basically the first of your locking combination, Rev? Uh, Matt Phillip. Got to get a yep. Rebel in there, so yeah. Yep, yep cool. Take that spot. Although his form hasn't been great so far this season. He's no. got the runs on the board in my mind to kind of be in there uh and mitch yeah i'm probably gonna go matt phillip as well for four yeah cool and rev again the second lock number five uh isaac brotter and the only reason why i didn't take kato is i think brotter is a must pick so he's my yeah. uh my other force option uh, cool and mitch i think that leaves you with a brumby that you need who are you picking oh this could be controversial no, I'll go with I'll go with Darcy Swain. I was going to say Tom Hooper nice. played really well this weekend. Let's throw him in there, but just to just to keep the the Brumbies fans happy. But no, let's go with Darcy Swain. Yeah, Rev, I really like the um, change up that you did by needing to get Isaac Rodder in there. So that changed mm. up the hooker options. I think that undoubtedly, um, from our team of the week perspective, Kaitu is in a way, the must pick from the yeah. hooker position just because he's been in there for the four weeks we've had. He's been the hooker of the round for three of them, I believe. Um, but you're right. Isaac Rod has been fantastic. Mm. And with the form of Philip, I think, yeah, yeah, it's a really good shout. For me, I had Bell, Kaitu, Tupo, Philip, and Swain. Um, so I think, Mitch, that was the same as yours? Yeah, I think it was. Yeah, yeah I think it was. <laughs> Great minds, eh? <laughs> yeah, pick, pick the Waratahs fans right here. Um, 
<laughs> we have to have Dell in first. So that just puts everything else in. Um, cool. Well, that's it from me. Mitch, why don't you take us through our social platforms? Fantastic. We're on Instagram at hashtag pick underscore drive underscore rugby. We're on Facebook at the pick and drive rugby podcast page. And we're also on Twitter at pick underscore drive rugby. Please do give us a like, a follow or a tweet um, on any of those platforms because we would love to hear from you. Brilliant. Well, thank you to the absolute legends who over the last few weeks have been supporting us on coffee.com slash pick and drive rugby, uh, particularly in the last week or so. We want to thank Wilson who sent some money in. So huge thank you. Um, it's been absolutely amazing to see the support that we've gathered. So if you are interested, please go there. Uh, and if Mitch, you listen to you. last week's episode, I think this guy's taking his, whoever Wilson is, has taken his cue of going some form of Wilson in his name to be oh, of course. prevalent in Australian <laughs> rugby at the moment. I don't Harry Wilson. That. Any Wilson. Harry, uh, Will, William Will Harris. Harrison. Like, <laughs> who knows? Who knows? It's probably one of those blokes. But uh, <laughs> thank you for that, Wilson. We do appreciate it. Let's move into the yellow cap results. So for the yellow cap for round four, the round was taken out by Ember, who scored uh, nine and a half points. It was followed by Sueno in second spot on eight and a half points, followed by... Shad JR um, on six and a half points. If we look at the top of the table, that we we haven't had any movement this week. Uh, so L Tay is in first spot on twenty eight point seven five points. We have halfbacks and halfwits who was in first place last week. Uh, so maybe they have gone up. Then I don't, I'm not sure. There's the little numbers throw me off. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But halfbacks and halfwits in second spot on twenty eight points, equal third with Ember. Um, who's also on 28 points, and he's moved up, according to the little numbers, if we take those as gospel, has moved up 60 places this round. Huge, huge. Well done, Ember, and that's because you did take out the yellow cap. So I had a great round. I haven't looked at the actual results, but I wonder if Ember went for the Chiefs this week. Mm. Must have, must have. All right, Rev, over to you, my friend. What are we talking about tonight? We've got a juicy one. We're going through round two of Super W. We want to do a round four uh, review of the Super Rugby Pacific. Uh, and then we're going to go into the locker room where we go through some of the questions that come through on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Uh, we'll show the post-match press conference as well and just give uh, the listeners a bit of an insight as to what goes on in those rooms. So, yeah, really exciting. Let's go straight to the Super W. Moving in now to the second week of the Super W competition, we saw the Fijiana Ndrua and the New South Wales Waratahs women's team really step up and cement their positions at the top of the ladder. But before we get to those two matches, there was an absolutely pulsating match on a Friday night down at AMI Park between the Rebels and the Brumbies, which ended up in an awesome 17-all draw. In some ways, like nobody likes a draw, really, in a way, but it was a fitting reward for some incredible effort that the Rebels women put out onto the unless, field. So yeah, no one likes a draw unless you're the Melbourne Rebels women's team. Unless you're the <laughs> team that forces the draw, then you're like, they, we got something from it. They were cheering like they'd beaten the Brumbies. And Man. some <laughs> of the story that's come out of it is that they've played the Brumbies for the last four years and not really come close to them. And so in, in a lot of ways, the fact that they came back in this game and were able to tie it up on full time in their eyes was a victory. So well done to the Melbourne Rebels women's team. Um, and it was great just to see them cheering like that, like they'd won the game when they'd only drew it. The Fijiana and Drua had another statement 
placed upon the competition when in some ways you could say steamrolled the um, finalists from last year's competition, the Queensland Reds, who went down 12 to 27 at home at Suncorp. So that was a very impressive game. And if you have the opportunity to watch any of the games from the weekend, I highly recommend that you're watching anything involving the Fijiana and Drua. They are playing with a level of physicality, pace and skill which is just a joy, an absolute joy to watch. And now that's not to say that the Super W teams aren't going to be able to match it. I think that the uh, round five matchup between the New South Wales Waratahs and the Fijiana and Drua are going to be, is going to be an absolutely incredible game. I just think that the um, Drua team have brought a level that is, uh, they brought something new. They brought an added spark to the competition and freshened it up in a way that I think has been really needed. So that's fantastic. And then in the third match of the weekend played after the um, Waratahs and Force men's game was obviously the females or the women's game. And the Waratahs were able to survive a bit of an early scare against the Force and end up getting up 31 to 14. So that leaves, like I said earlier, the Fijiana and Drua on top of the table with points for and against. The Waratahs are coming second, Reds third, Brumbies fourth, Rebels fifth, and Western Force sixth. So that then leads us into the men's round, the men's competition. And I'm not going to go through each of the games straight away. I will just point out that we have two Australian teams sitting top of the table currently. That's pretty exciting. Brumbies and the Reds are sitting pretty in number one and two on 18 and 17 points respectively, all because of the Crusaders' loss to the Chiefs, which was a massive surprise, which pushes them down to third. So why don't we start off with the Rebels versus the Brumbies. Rebels at home against the Brumbies went down 17 to 36. Mitch, let's start with you, mate. Was this a better performance from the Rebels who, let's be honest, boys, we were, we were pretty brutal towards last week. Did the Rebels manage to step up in this game and prove some of the doubters somewhat wrong? Yeah, look, I think they did. Um, we, we were, as you said, Ando, we were pretty brutal in our assessment of the of the way the Rebels season is is shaping and the way that they've prepared for this game. Um, quite funny. I have to give a shout out to the Draft Rugby boys for calling us out in their pod last week and <laughs> saying that we were a bit harsh and saying there was no highlights for the or no possible way that the Rebels team could contest the Brumbies in this game and they gave a few options, so well done to them. Uh, <laughs> but I was really impressed with... To, particularly towards the end of the game when some of their substitutions came on, things started to gel a little bit more and there was performances from players who we haven't seen a lot of this year so far that really changed things for the Rebels and and hopefully um, looks like they might shine some light into selection issues moving forward that might solve some of the current problems. So when we saw Carter Gordon come on and shift into 10, uh, with Moses Sorovi taking over from Joe Powell. Both of those players really looked together to sh- to line up the attack a lot straighter than what Matt Tamua was able to do. And um, they were just asking a little bit more questions of the Brumbies that they hadn't really posed previously. Um, Decision-making is still a big question mark for the Rebels, and I'm sure we'll get yep. to that later. Yep, we will. But yep. the fact that they were able to score 17 points... Um, is a good thing and they could very well have come away from this with like three or six points. All right. So then thinking about particularly the kind of number 10, 12 axis for the Rebels, uh, Rev, 
Look, do you agree with the decision that Kevin Foote made to shift Carter Gordon kind of out of that 10 jersey and put Matt Tamua in there, or Tomua in there for his experience and leadership? Uh, do you agree with it? Do you think it's paid off? Where would you go moving forward? Um, yeah, I don't agree with it, and I don't think it's paid off. Um, the, the sad thing is they do need some experience in there because they just don't have any real options. I think now that Callaway's back, now that Hodge is back, probably just need one of their more experienced wings back, whether that's Lockie Anderson, who you know played on the left wing a lot of last season, or even Joe Pincus, who's at least had a lot of experience in the Australian Sevens circuit and has played a lot of rugby. Glenn Vi, who's just not overly experienced. Matt Timur, he's not really doing anything that's linking this team together other than kicking pretty well at goal. I think he got three from three um, over the week. So, yeah, I just don't think it's working. And the Rebels had 57% of the possession and still only managed two tries. And both of those tries you're, came second half. And really, I think a lot of that was towards the go forward that players like Mitch mentioned, um, but also like Richard Hardwick and Effie Marfu, they really added a little bit of extra spark coming on. So, yeah, to me, Carter Gordon's got to go back to 10. And Matt Tamua, he could go 12, but I've also been impressed with Ray Nuu. So, he just might yep. drop to the bench altogether as a fail safe. Yeah. And that's has Richard thought, Hardwick sure. been injured? Yeah, he has. He this has. was his yeah. first game back. Okay. Yep. Um, I, I'm just not confident that Tamua should actually be in the wrong side at yeah. this current point in time. I don't think his form warrants it. Uh, I think that his versatility could make him a decent bench option. But Carter Gordon is, without a shadow of a doubt, the future. And so the Rebels' season's basically already gone with the results that they've had so far. So they shouldn't really be trying to save anything um, in terms of um, making, like, the top half of the ladder. Just develop the players, build those combinations, and look forward to future seasons. Basically do what the Tars did last year and just suck up the losses and be willing to um, give young guys the experience and the opportunities. Now, um, Rev, I'm just going to stick with you for a sec because... Look, you're a bit of a hater sometimes, mate. And I'm going to call you out on this one. The person that you love to hate is Tom Banks. And you asked last week, does did Tom Banks play well? So I'm going to ask you this week, did Tom Banks play well? Yes, and I'm very happy with that. He, um, he He's one that I'm very keen to see play because for probably the last two and a half years, he's been our best fullback, at least on paper. And we just haven't really seen enough to prove it week in, week out. Um, he gets called out a lot for being a flat track bully and looking really good against weak opposition, which I think you could categorize the Rebels as, but there was something different about it. He was doing everything well. He was running mm. really well. He was breaking tackles, which he doesn't normally do. Normally he's great in the line break, but he can actually beat a few defenders. He, he looked to be quite dominant uh, running the ball, but also just in setting up other players as well. I think it, it's arguably the best I've seen Tom Banks play. Uh, so I'm very excited by that. Um, but I mean, one bad performance, I'm, I'm willing to hate again. Just give me a chance. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's very kind of you. I think what was really impressive for me with Banks's performance, not only um, his try letter in a game, which Mitch, I'm going to throw to you in a moment, but the earlier involvement he had to set up Len Ikatao's try in the 26th minute. So that little shuffle step he did to get on the outside of the um, Rebels number eight, who I'm having a mental blank on for a moment, Tamati Yuani. Yeah. Um, that was that was just absolutely brilliant. The way he was able to just kind of get on the outside shoulder and then break through the tackle, like you were saying, Rev, but then look for the offload on the inside shoulder was just really class and something that we haven't seen him do. He runs hard and strong lines, often unders lines, and he does that really, really well. Uh, this was something different. So let's see if he can continue this form and, and keep it up going into some uh, maybe more 
some opposition that's in a bit more form than where the Rebels are right now. But I think we, we've talked about this game for long enough without speaking directly to possibly the best moment of Super Rugby Pacific so far this season, which was James Slipper. Mitch, as an ex-front row forward, how did it feel watching James Slipper do the little dummy out to Ryan Lonergan, who's looping in underneath him and then do that beautiful inside ball back onto on rushing Tom Banks? Oh, you mean the play that they copied straight out of the Waratahs playbook? <laughs> <laughs> I think they've been doing it for years, mate, at the um, Brumbies. We copied them originally. Well, we did it most recently, so I'll take that. But um, <laughs> yeah, no, it was, it was great to see. It's always fun to see those little inside balls off from a forward to a on steaming, hard running fullback uh, that we saw the Waratahs do a few years ago with, I think it was Harry Johnson Holmes and uh, who was fullback at the time? Maddox, maybe. Um, yeah, Maddox. But yeah, it was great to see that. Uh, I don't know if it's actually a, a set play, if something's been called or it's just an opportunity. Surely it is. Surely. Like, no front row forward is turning their back, dummying to the um, the wraparound nine, the wraparound scrum half, and then passing it back inside perfectly. Like, that, that's a play. You can't say that that's. I don't um, know. I, I, I'm just saying, I, I don't know. I didn't see anything specifically get called for it. it I feel like it's something that it, it's, it's one of those like heads up rugby things where you see the. Oh, it's not. It's the second phase of the line-out, mate. They've planned that all the way through. Okay. Well, it could be. We don't know. We're not in the inner sanctum. But, uh, yeah, it was it was cool to see. It was it was great to see Banks have that involvement. And as Rev said before, I think not to be too harsh on his performance, but we do need to see him start putting these, these types of performances together against consistent op- opposition moving forward like he's had a great game this week against the rebels last week he was still a little bit off um it'll be interesting to see how he goes next week against the reds yeah it's going to be a massive game well want to move on to the reds then and look at their match which they very nearly bottled so that must have been pretty hard for you to watch rev as they kind of clawed the match back in one of the final minutes of the game getting up 33 to 28 against the andrua how scared were you in those final minutes I think I had the um, the company of a few cruisers and Summersby, so I wasn't um, I, I wasn't as upset perhaps as maybe I could have been. But it, it was one of those interesting games where I think what sixty minutes in, a little bit past that, we we're up twenty eight to nine, and I thought we'd missed a few opportunities and hadn't played particularly well. But I was really happy with the result. I was like, that's great, you know, kept them trialless um, to this point and you know looking solid. And then they scored one. I'm like, oh, that's really annoying, you know, just you know, kind of ruins that. Uh, sheet uh the second try came like okay they're getting pretty close like we got to turn it up and then the third one came in and panic stations were sort of hit because we didn't have any real leadership out there in the back line and it really showed i think Stewart and uh, Paisama were doing their best to try and rally the troops but the decision to move jock campbell to 10 uh, with james o'connor coming off it really fell through a few times and uh, not just for the obvious knock-on which led to the try but Hunter Paisami in that space in the last 17 minutes fell off so many tackles and didn't even get to tackles because the whole back line seemed to just completely change shape uh, without James O'Connor there, and especially mm-hmm. without Tate McDermott, an experienced flight, uh, scrum half, leading the charge. So it was nerve-wracking. Um, thank God we had Sarah Uru, who yep. did a remarkable job to not only score the try, but steal the line out at the end to snatch it. But um, I think my exact message after the match was never in doubt. Um, <laughs> it was very solid. That's, that's a cruiser uh, speaking, cocky. mate. That's a cruiser yeah. speaking right there. And so, um, look, it, 
it's a result that never should have been in doubt. The Drew have played um, particularly well in that last bit. And I think mm. the last two rounds, they've really shown, hey, they're not making up the numbers. They're looking really well set for this competition. One of the really telling points was in the final try to the Ndrua by Vinaya Habosi, who um, he, I think it was Epistolami Vota who got the break and then kind of passed it off to him on the inside. Mm. And the really interesting point there was the lack of trust that Hamish Stewart had with Jock Campbell to be able to make the initial tackle from the set play. Mm. Um, because you watch it again and you just pause it right at the moment um, where the Ndrua make the pass out to Vota. And for some reason, Hamish Stewart has kind of like drifted towards Jock Campbell by a good two or three metres and just opened up this absolutely massive gap between him and Hunter Paisami. And it seemed, there seems to be absolutely no reason why he should be moving into that space. And so for me, that might just be a, he, he lacks the confidence that his inside man is going to be able to take the tackle. And so he's looking to make a two-man tackle on that runner and then they just pass outside of him and just go straight through the hole that he's left. Uh, so that might be some of what you're speaking to there with the um, changing dynamics of not having drop, um, James Campbell there. Uh, James Campbell. James. Campbell. <laughs> I tried to say I tried to say James O'Connor, but not anyway. Yeah. Without having James O'Connor there. Yeah. Um, so Mitch, we had a few players that really stood out in this match. Uh, I've got a couple of people that I'd like to name, but who for you stood out as being an absolute? Um, maybe a game breaker had a really strong performance. Yeah, we mentioned him earlier, but Sarah Uru, we can't go past uh, his inclusion in the game. He he scored the try for the Reds to get them back on top at the end and then followed it up with the line-out still right on full time to get the victory for the Queensland Reds and really get them over the line. And this was his first chance at starting at six for the Reds and he took that opportunity with both hands. I think also there's probably um, a little bit of forward thinking there by Sarah Uru. Like, he's not capped by Fiji or the Wallabies at the moment. He's potentially eligible for both countries. And so both selectors are probably sitting there watching this game and seeing a performance he puts in. I would not be surprised if he's now in talks with the Fijian uh, international team as, as potentially trying to get him in um, to their, their setup and, and get him capped because he played phenomenally for them. Yeah, he'd be a great get. He was one of those players that we thought would actually go and be a part of the foundation team for the Indrua in the Super Rugby competition. Uh, so I think Rev, you'll be quite happy that he stayed with the Reds. Um, and look, I'm not saying he should be parachuted into the lobbies or anything like that. Um, all power to him if he does um, get an opportunity for the for the for Fiji. That would be absolutely wonderful. But what I the person I wanted to particularly point out, apart from Josh Nasser, who managed to cramp up on a way to the try line and then <laughs> fool the defending defenders into thinking he was about to pass it, um, I really, really rated the impact of Harry Wilson. Now, I'm not saying this just to appease Rugby Reg, who seems to think I have a crusade against Harry Wilson or anything like that. But what I was critical of last season and was hoping to see more of coming into 2022 was a consistency of physical performance from Harry Wilson week in, week out. And Morgan Tirinui loves to say a player needs a body of work before they can really become someone that you're talking up on a regular basis. And I think that Harry Wilson is starting within the first four weeks. He has not had a bad game. 
He's not had a game where he's gone missing. His tackle count has been high. He's been making hard metres in contact and running the tight lines. Um, he's scored a couple of meat pies as well. He's just doing everything right at this point in time. And when you look at the form of Bobby Valentini as well, who played very well in the Brumbies match, it's just really exciting for the Wallabies back row that we've caught got two genuine number eight contenders, even though Valentini's playing six at the Brumbies um, at that Wallabies level. So it's, it's just exciting to see. Would you um, say that we've got three if we include Pete Samu? Um, yeah, Pete Samu's been a bit quiet this season. Am I wrong in thinking that? Um, maybe it's because I've been watching Valentini a little bit more. Do we? He's playing we the rate- game that the Brumbies want him to play, though. I don't think he's been given as much freedom to have as, an impact on the game as as Valentini is, uh, it very much looks like they've asked him to sort of scope around those wider channels, particularly the tram lines, and be there for that link play when they get the ball wide, uh, which Valentini's playing tighter and is is having those big carries close into contact um, in the midfield, whereas um, Samu's playing it out wide a bit bit more. Thoughts on that one, Rev? Are we are we on? A, is Mitch on the money here, or what do you reckon? Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. I think it's been interesting because. Previously, I don't think Valentini's had quite the same impact and maybe, you know, uh, neither has Swain. And now, because they're both getting a little bit more involved in that regard, the ball's not actually getting shifted out to some moves often because we normally see sort of a trademark line break or maybe even try assist as he sets up someone else down the wing. But, mm. yeah, we, we haven't really seen that this season because he hasn't been needed for that role. Um, the, the few times that I've been really impressed, he's actually been a lot more involved in rocks out there and has actually protected and stolen a few balls for the Brumbies. But, yeah. Um, yeah, we're not seeing as much, um, I guess, flamboyancy in attack. And so it's probably showing that it's not um, quite as as dominant on the scoreboard when we're looking at it that way. Uh, one thing I just want to quickly mention, we we can't pass up. I know we've already moved on to the Brumbies game, but we actually forgot to mention Tom Hooper's. Um, was it his debut this weekend? Yeah. 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 And he has eight runs, 31 metres, two clean breaks and two defenders beaten as an attacker and then had 20 20 tackles with absolutely no missed tackles at all. So that is just an absolutely incredible first-up performance. And imagine if you happened to draw him in your fantasy team. That would have been the next level. <laughs> Do you know how many points you would have got? Got any chance, Riff? Uh, it was a decent amount. I think it was like in the 40s. So he yeah. did really well. Yeah, yeah well, I can tell you because I huge. had him in my team and he scored me 45 points. So oh, yeah. you had him. Yep. Great call, mate. Very good call. Um, okay, well, why don't we keep on going now into the Tars versus Force match. It's really the match. Oh, that hold on. Before we move about. off the Reds, the Reds, um, do we have anything, any other final points about this? Uh, there, do, do you, you obviously do. <laughs> there was, um, I wanted to give credit to the Endure, first of all, for... Um, getting so close as they did. And in a lot of ways, coming into this game, we were probably expecting the Queensland Reds to come away with a winning bonus point. They came away with the four points for the win, but the fact that the Fijian and Drua were able to come away with a losing bonus point is something we probably didn't foresee moving in. And I wonder yeah. if that's going to be a, a big... We've spoken about this in the past, but getting losing bonus points in this competition is really important, particularly when you look at a team like the the Highlanders at the moment, who are down the bottom of the table and haven't quite been able to do that. They're only looking, they're looking at, um, what are they at the moment? They're on one point sitting on the table. So they haven't mm-hmm. even got any losing bonus points. They've got one losing bonus. Point. Well, they've got one losing bonus point, but that, that's it. Like they're not sitting on anything. So the fact that the Fijian mm-hmm. Drua were able to come away from this game with that losing bonus point is massive. And in some ways could be as good as a win for them 
in setting up their season. Mm. Yep, really important point. I think obviously we're an Australian rugby podcast, but that doesn't take away from the quality of the Drua and what they're what they're showing. As Rev mentioned earlier, and they're definitely Rev, not here to we, make up the numbers. Is there anyone else we've forgotten to talk about? Um, look, I'm keen to mention Pataya's game yeah, of fullback. Yeah, 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 good call. Well. Cool, cool. Are we just going to um, forget that he played fullback? <laughs> We've been calling no, for just, it for just, months. Just focusing on the joy that is the Waratahs. But yeah, we, yeah. we can talk about the Reds for a little bit more. They need the help. Yeah. I, I was just going to mention that his run down the wing, I think a few people brought it up on Twitter, that they don't actually get to see him in space that often. Mm-hmm. And I think that was a lot of the draw for, hey, maybe we should see him at fullback more often because... When he had a bit of room to run, he really blitzed down the side and scored a really, really unreal try for them. So, um, yeah, I think he played quite well. He's still prone to so many, like, you know, rubbers into contact that aren't needed and little things he's got to get out of the game. But there was a lot to like, and it creates a nice headache against the Brumbies as to whether you revert back to Jock Campbell back there or um, if, if he gets another shot. Yeah, that's a yeah. really interesting point that you re- you mentioned, Rev, and I was thinking about this as I was watching the game as well is that we're so used to seeing Pattaya get the ball at the end of, like on the wing at the end of a play where he's got, you know, three metres in the sideline to work with. Where mm. now he's popping up in midfield and he's being able to choose when to inject himself and run from pace to get the ball so that he's he's receiving the ball at full pelt. Uh, it, it was really, it, it lifted his game a lot and it gave him a lot more awareness and ability to break the line and, and pop up in areas that we haven't seen him do before. So... It definitely worked, and it, he looked a better player than he has looked um, playing on the wing so far. Uh, the the kicks into contact. I wonder if that's sort of a bit of a mental thing that he's suffering at the moment. He's had he's been so injury prone in the past. I wonder if sometimes when he looks up and sees that there's a lock standing there or or a prop, he puts it on the toe because he doesn't want to be slammed, thinking that he might pick up another injury. So hopefully in the next few weeks, if he can get some consistent game time out the back there at fifteen and and work on his spacing a little bit more and when to really know when to inject himself into the line and, and call those plays a bit more, um, we might get to see him toughen up a little bit and and take yeah. the contact on. It's it's an interesting thing to talk about a player needing to be a little bit tougher because they're doing something that is like far more physical. I'll probably literally break a hip um, if I did anything that he's doing. Um, but the the thing that I find interesting is I'd love I'd love to actually like know the guy. And to know how he works and how he shares shows himself and his emotions and stuff like that, because he very rarely kind of shows enjoyment or or joy from playing. Even when he scored that awesome try, he didn't crack a smile whatsoever yeah. afterwards. And I just hope that he's got people around him and people within a coaching team that really connect with him mm. and know him and are able to speak to him, because you just I just want him to be enjoying his rugby for his own sake. Um, and also I just know with the injury da- challenges that he does have kind of moving forward that it it must be hard for a young guy to be able to come back from those injuries or be at risk of those injuries. And so he's one of those players that you just need to nurture. And mm. I'd hate to see a situation come up where like maybe um, he doesn't have the support around him and a few bad decisions are made or he ends up going overseas and having a really negative experience over there. Yeah. Um, he's just one of those players that he's got the talent and I hope we nurture it really yeah, effectively. For sure. Yeah, definitely. Um, are we all good to move on to the Tars West Force? Yes, Ando, you can talk about the Waratahs now. Yeah, mate, I just want to talk about <laughs> Will Harrison. So how good was Will Harrison? Um <laughs> No, so the Tars ended up getting up over the Force 22-17 to 17 in what was a really 
Look, I'm not sure if you'd say it was a particularly good match in a way. Like the the, the Waratahs played particularly well in the first half and had, had moments in the second, but the force were fairly error strewn and didn't really bring too much to the table. Um, and so when, when it's a pretty close match like that, I don't know, I just... Even as a Tars fan, I'm happy we got the win, but I just wasn't sure it was as much of a spectacle as any of the other games over the weekend. Uh, so, Mitch, I'm actually going to throw to you to start off with. Look, everybody has kind of hailed the return of Will Harrison as the messiah within this situation. Do you think the hype is real? Oh, you've got to say that he played well in that first half. I mean, he scored 17 of the 22 points himself. He did. So he scored a try and he kicked all those, kicked the conversions and the penalties. Um, he was everywhere in that first half he was popping up all over the place like we were saying with Jordan Pattaya really knowing where to inject himself and when uh, I think it's worked well as well for Will Harrison this week playing fullback and that combination we've spoken about with him and, and Ben Donaldson they just know each other so instinctively well but this week we got to see a lot more of that link play that that link man that Will Harrison is is that second playmaking option that pop up in the centers which we haven't seen so far for the Waratahs this year Alex mm. Newsom's been good in the fullback position, uh, particularly defensively, but he hasn't offered a great deal in attack, whereas Will Harrison was getting his hands on the ball nearly every single time the backs got it and doing something with it, either making meters or putting someone else into a hole. So I think we've got to definitely say his first half performance was very impressive. He got quiet towards the second half, as a lot of the team did, um, where the force started to get a little bit more momentum in the game and I think some of the leaders and uh, the, the Waratahs were missing so Jake Gordon was out Dave Parecki was out injured um, and who was the third one Williams Jeff Cridge oh Jeremy Williams Jeremy Williams yeah Cridge came yep. back from injury yep. this week but yeah some of those game leaders that we've seen be so pivotal in the past weren't there and I think that might have been the reason why the Waratahs sort of fell away a little bit in the second half as their game leaders weren't there to really recenter and keep going um, but overall, I, I was impressed with Will Harrison, and I'm looking forward to seeing how that combination with Ben Donaldson develops in the coming weeks. One of the very interesting points from this match was, in my mind, the forward play, the fact that the force were really unstable in their own ball in scrum and actually lost four of their own feeds um, to the Waratahs. Now, the Waratahs are, have a decent forward pack, but I wouldn't say it's something that should be a forward pack that should be pushing the force off their own ball um, four out of 13 times. Rev, how did you see the forward battle stack up between these two teams, considering it's meant to be an area of, if not dominance, at least strength for the force? As we sort of mentioned at the start, Philadelphia Cutter has been one of the best players and most consistent performers of Super Rugby this year. And he had a really average game. The, the line out, he had a few crooked throws. He obviously had the yellow card, which didn't help. But he did come back. Yeah, he didn't yeah. come back. So only played 39 minutes. Like it's just, it, it's really sub, um, suboptimal for a team that needs leaders out there and, you know, should be banking on their new young leader. So, you know, that, that was interesting. But yeah, the, the battle at scrum time was really a surprise because the first scrum, Tom Robertson seemed to get the better of Harry Johnson Holmes. Mm. And you saw, um, you know, a bit of disbelief. And I, I thought the force were going to really try and gain ascendancy there and just, it never clicked, but, but you're right. It was the talk of the game. Um, the second half in particular, it was really attritional. Um, there was a lot of just big hits, and the forwards did kind of dictate how well they went. And I thought the force forwards um, actually had quite a lot with ball in hand, but mm -hmm. the Tars just had better moments and as a unit collectively played really well, which is perfect because that's the issue we said against um, 
against them in the Brumbies match is that they had individual brilliance but just couldn't quite connect. And it looks like as each game gets um, you know, played out, they're getting more and more cohesive and looking better as a unit. So I, I thought it was um yeah, a really good performance in the end by the Waratahs forwards. Looking into then the back lines, one of the standout players was undoubtedly Manasseh Mateelli for the force who had seven runs for 111 metres, two clean breaks and five defenders beaten, which is just insane stats. Absolutely incredible. Um, he was just one of those players that was really, really dominant throughout. But there was the somewhat much heralded return of Bailey Kunzel into the force back line at the expense of my golden child, which is uh, Richard Kahui. Please come <laughs> back, Richard. My fantasy team needs you. Um, but Mitch, how did you rate uh, Kunzel's return? And did you think that actually helped with the kind of dynamics of the force back line? Yeah, I personally thought he struggled a little bit in this game. And I think the, the back line, the force back line as a whole struggled in this game. Um, they... They just never really seemed to click very often. And, and when they made line breaks or they made a, a, a break through the middle, they weren't always able to capitalize on that and actually finish it off and score points. Uh, it was only towards the end of the game that they really started to score points through malls and pick and drives that kept them in the game. Um, I was expecting a little bit more from him, honestly, and I thought that he might have had a bit more involvement in the game than he than he did one of the interesting questions that you raised at the Waratahs game a couple of weeks ago to um, to Darren Coleman, Mitch, was, well, is Michael Hooper going to be kind of walking straight into the team or is he going to be like brought back in to give him some runs under the, um, get, get his legs back into it before he kind of goes back for a full 80 minutes. And he's should be nearing his return quite soon into the team. And yet we've got the excellent problem that Charlie Gamble has been fantastic this season for the Waratahs. He's played, he's almost been getting better and better and better each week as his moustache grows bushier and bushier and bushier. So <laughs> how do you see the makeup of the Waratahs back line, um, in, in, uh, back row, inclusive of the bench positions? My my personal prediction is that when Hooper comes back, Tizano won't be in the match day squad at all for the rest of the season if Hooper is back. Um, I think Gamble will take his spot. What do you reckon, Mitch? Me? Sorry, me? Yes. You're, you're sure. Mitch. He's Rev. So, no, 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 no. <laughs> I, I didn't hear you say my name. Sorry. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. So, I don't think Tazano has been doing himself any favors. He's only getting small minutes so far this season. And we do know he's coming back from injury. But he came on late this game and he gave away that silly penalty and ended up being a yellow card um, for that silly lifting tackle on Kahui. And luckily didn't damage his beautiful face. But... Um, <laughs> Yeah, so he's not he's doing silly things like that to a coach like Darren Coleman is not going to endear him and DC won't play around with a player that's going to give away costly penalties like that particularly when the game's getting close towards the end. So uh when we've got a player like Hooper coming back, I very much think that Charlie Gamble shifts onto the bench, Hooper comes in to start, probably not game 1, which I think at this point is meant to be uh, against the Reds in a few weeks. I imagine Hooper probably comes off the bench from that first game and sees ha- see how he goes. But he's just the Energizer Bunny, isn't he? He's always match fit and ready to go and plays 80 minutes. So I would not be surprised if Hooper comes off the bench for the game against the Reds and then for the rest of the season just does plays every single minute for the Tars. Um, but Darren Coleman did bring up an interesting point that Charlie Gamble is is a, a utility seven, whereas Carlo... Tizano is a is an out and out seven, so Gamble could play six or eight if needed, whereas Tizano is not big enough to play either of his other positions, so he probably falls out of selection 
um, yep. discussions when Hooper comes back. I still have questions, though, whether Gamble really is a, a sufficient choice at eight or six, um, particularly when we've got a player like Lockie Swinton and Hugh Sinclair uh, playing six at the moment. Uh, I would not be surprised if maybe even Gamble doesn't get isn't able to crack the 23 once Hooper's back and fully fit. Yeah, interesting call. Rev, your quick take on this before we move on? Oh, I think we need to see how quickly Raboni Warren Vasayako comes back because mm. uh, he's injured as well uh, with a, a hip injury, I think. But yeah, it, to me, the best back line at the start of the season would have been Swinton 6, Hooper 7, um, Harris or Vasayako at 8, and then the other at 20 because I don't think we need a reserve 7 if you got Hooper. Yep. Uh, and that's still the case. I, I think Gamble's been great. Uh, I've been really impressed with him. I think it's as simple as he doesn't see another minute once Hooper's back um, just because it's Hooper. Um, and, and that's just the nature of the beast. Other you know, players have had to move clubs because of it. And yeah, yeah I think you, you want a 6-8 on the bench, not a 7. And I think Bosiaka does a better job of that than Gamble would. Yeah. It was yeah, interesting in the post-match that they were interviewing Gamble and he, the way he was talking and they were saying, you know, you, you've not played a lot for the Waratahs and you've been around for a while. Um, and he was very thankful of the coaching staff of giving him this opportunity at the moment. He didn't directly say that I'm not playing because Michael Hooper's there, but he mm. was very much alluding to that. And he was sort of saying, I'm, I'm really enjoying being able to play at the moment and taking as much game time as I can and just getting on the field. Um, mm. And I'm very thankful for that while it's happening at the moment. So from the way he was talking, it even sounds like he knows that once Hooper's back, he probably won't get many minutes should if Hooper doesn't pick up an injury. Yeah. Well, honestly, Hooper's up there, if not ahead of Taniela Tupo as the best player. Well, he is the best player in Australian rugby. Yeah. Um, Tupo is probably up there now within the kind of front row. Hey, don't stocks. forget Ryan Monaghan. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> how, could, how could I forget? Um, but it's it just shows the importance of the man. Like even when we did ask that question in the um, post-match presser and there was that laughter because they misinterpreted what you were saying. Um, but it just shows the mark of the man and the esteem that Michael Hooper's kept in. So as much as I personally, there's there's a part of me that wants to see Gamble and Tizano get more game time, even right. if Hooper's there, but I also recognise that he's just so damn good that he, he can play 80 minutes and probably should be playing 80 minutes every single week. It just makes me worry about succession planning moving forward. But that's probably enough talking about one really specific part of the Waratahs. I could probably talk about that all night. That'd be okay. Um, so I think just as a quick summary comment, um, I, I, I was just thinking about the force and whether or not they've had a good start to the season so far. Because a couple of weeks ago, I was talking them up and saying but do we kick them out again? <laughs> God, yeah. no, you just yeah. lost to all of our fans. Thanks, Mitch. <laughs> um, but I think that they started the season well, but they're still needing to um, make sure that they're getting the consistency of effort right across the park. And we've spoken about some of the areas that they needed improvement so far. They're not up to the level that they should be with the quality of the players that they have within their team. So maybe they're going to have a couple more good matches coming up. But if they don't get a few results in their upcoming matches, then they're going to struggle big time against the Kiwi teams. Whereas the Waratahs, so little was expected of them this season that any any improvement is gold. And we're very, very happy about that. Whereas I think the force were in the, um, the better position of actually having greater expectation and just aren't able to live up to it right now. And hopefully that can change in the coming weeks. Anything else we want to add or are we happy to move on? One one yeah, thing I was yeah. interested this week and it really seemed to fall away was the leadership from the Western Force. And I think from memory, it was sort of that 33, 34, 35 minute mark 
it was close to when Felitti Kaitu who got that yellow card, but there was a point where the referee blew his whistle, and uh, I think it was for the initial infringement came from a line out to to mall drive that got collapsed by the Waratahs. Um, and four different players went up to the referee and just was screaming in his face about something. So he blew the whistle, brought Felitti Kaitu over. Uh, no, even might have been later in the second half, actually, because I think Kyle Godwin was captain at the time. Mm-hmm. So I can't remember the exact time it was. Um, but he said to Godwin, he said, you need to tell your players to stop screaming at me because I'm, if it happens again, I'm going to give someone a card. And you could see at that point, and I think even the commentators, it might have been Drew Mitchell said at the time, that there's frustration from the players that things aren't going well, that what they're doing isn't doing going well, that they're making simple errors, they're not able to convert the opportunities they're getting in the opposition 22, and that frustration is leaking out into them yelling at the referee. Now, that's when you need a captain to come and settle things down. And it, it's not just one player that's doing that. If it is one player, you, you typically just expect that that's the way that that player deals with that kind of um, pressure and aggression. But the fact that there's three or four players doing that and just yelling at the referee when they're the ones that have made that mistake, it just goes to show that the moment there isn't that leadership there and there's no real, there's no someone that's driving things and, and channeling that aggression and that um, that emotion back into the cause and saying, let's just refocus and get back onto our, what we do and focus on our, um, our own game and our own, uh, our own handling and those sort of things. So I thought that was really interesting to see that the way that the team as a whole dealt with that pressure. Yeah, fair enough. And let's see how that shifts this week and whether particularly Felici Kadu can step up and regain that quality that we know that he has. Rev, why don't you take us through the New Zealand side of the competition, my friend? Yeah, absolutely. So the first game for the New Zealand comp, um, I guess started, I shouldn't say comp, the New Zealand part of the draw, uh, was the Blues versus Highlanders, which was a nice start to the Friday afternoon. Um, the Blues ended up getting up 32-20, but it was a really interesting game. I think they were down 13-3 at halftime and just couldn't really get into the fixture. Um, as we'll talk about with another fixture, they were just sort of hampered by um, late withdrawals. So Bowden Barrett, obviously a pretty massive player to lose. He got pulled uh, quite early, which was a massive shame for them. And you just factor that in with, you know, not quite having as much time together for some of their players. Um, the resting of Tom Robinson and uh, Josh Goodhue, who, you know, two really important forwards, I think just uh, detracted from them a little bit. But they, they got into the groove of things and really showed that the Highlanders are in a bit of a separate class when it comes to New Zealand sides. Um, yeah, so, so it, was, it was a nice fixture to see, I think. Um Mitch, just from seeing that result and I guess seeing how that's playing out now, what are the alarm bells looking like at Highlanders headquarters, do you reckon? Yeah, it's an interesting one, isn't it? Um, This game went to the 89th minute, I think, when the Highlanders were chasing, 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 trying to get a a try. Um, Or was it the Blues that were trying to get the bonus point? I think it was the Blues, actually. Um, They could both get a bonus point, whoever scored next. Yeah, so one, one team could get within... Yeah, so both teams were trying to get the bonus point, and I think there was actually a try scored that then got reviewed and taken back and played advantage and it was a bit it was a bit farcical at times and it was a bit crazy around that whole situation but um the highlanders just haven't really fired a shot so far this year they've they've held in games but they've not really looked like taking the game the game by the scruff of the neck and actually putting in a dominant performance and dictating the way things are played um mm. they've really in the last 
25, 20, 25 minutes of games, they're really chasing it by then and chasing the scoreline. So there's definitely, alarm. I would imagine, alarm bells ringing at Highlanders headquarters because they're getting to a point now on the table where it's going to be very hard for them to get back up the top and into the eight if they don't start getting some victories. And it then means that come the Trans-Tasman crossover period, they're going to have to win by bonus points every single week against the Australian opposition to be able to get into the finals. That's the thing is, like, they've got a points difference of negative 44, and only the one losing bonus points. So it's not as if they're, you know, really pushing it and then, you know, it's just coming unstuck. That They are still behind by a little bit. But, look, that was a really good game, uh, that one, I thought, and a nice way to start the, uh, the weekend viewing. Um, that was followed up by the... I guess the only other game that involved the New Zealand side is with the Hurricanes versus Moana Pacifica being cancelled. Crusaders suffered the first loss of the season to the Chiefs, a game which uh, I think ruined a lot of people's tipping uh, for the weekend, <laughs> upset a few, but uh, it was a really good game. And I think the reason why it needs to be brought up um, in both these New Zealand games is the Crusaders, they made a big call to rest Cody Taylor and Richie Monga at the start of the season. And I think this was their first start. Um and you can see a few cobwebs from both just as they're trying to get back into, you know, coming up against a settled New Zealand side. Uh, but you factor that in as well. They had four of their tight five get changed before kickoff. You know, it's just, it's too big a disruption. This, um, the whole COVID situation article, in New Zealand at the moment is just crazy, isn't it? Yeah. There's players and, being pulled left, right, and center minutes from kickoff. You have, you see the team sheet that's named on Wednesday off the, Wednesday afternoon, Thursday morning, and you go, oh, that's that's a nice indication, but I wonder how many of these players will actually play. Yeah. Well, and that's the thing, this post that uh, the Crusaders put up on Instagram, I'm like, sure they might know about it and must know about it earlier than that in, in the inner sanctum, but that got posted about 45 minutes before kickoff. You're losing your captain, Scott Barrett. You're losing Brody McAllister, who's been the starting hooker all up until this match. Uh, Tommy Williams and Mitch Dunshay, who are co- uh, covering off the bench. It does have a massive issue. And when you look at the Crusaders who were winning for most of this match and then lost it at the end, it makes such a big difference if you've got the players that were supposed to be finishing and that, you know, have been playing all these matches, suddenly not involved in, you know, some makeshift options. So full credit to the Chiefs. They, they did really well and attacked in the right areas. Sean Stevenson proved that he's, you know, just a class act. And that's someone that's just been around the blocks. He's probably racked up, I don't even want to get, probably upwards of 70 Super Rugby games and isn't a household name. But it's just a really seasoned campaigner. Um, so he did really well. And then to also cap it off with Ramika Pahipi, who I think got a start last year when they rested a few players against the Blues. Uh, he's now just you know building and building. So he's going to get a lot more game time, you'd think, over the coming seasons for the Chiefs. So, um, yeah, look, it was a really good weekend of rugby in that all these games were quite tight, um, which I quite liked. The Rebels How crazy Brumbies was game, it that, that so much, in but... that game, 10 minutes from full time, the Chiefs are down by three tries and they come back to win it. Like, that's yeah. just fantastic. Like, that only happens in New Zealand. I think the thing that stood out was they they had an interesting mixture when it came to running the ball. So, normally Will Jordan's really quite explosive and they did a pretty good job of containing him. But I thought what was interesting was the Crusaders had more line breaks. So, they, you know, were able to... I guess disrupt the defense as a whole and create some nice opportunities, which which was promising. And they were able to capitalize on a few. I know Scott Robinson rude a few chances that they didn't quite take. Um, but despite having more than double the amount of line breaks, they got actually pushed out a little bit with defenders beaten. Um, the Chiefs are able to beat uh, the man one on one a lot more often than the Crusaders could. And 
I think that was really telling just given how much the game was banked on that Crusaders 22 run at the end of the game. So, um, yeah, look, it was a really tight one. And I think it's done a great job for the Aussie teams that the New Zealand sides are sort of cannibalising each other um, and just giving us a bit more of a healthier look on the ladder. And yeah, have the Chiefs team, uh, I guess, drawn up a blueprint on how to beat this Crusaders side? Do you think the Australian teams can look at the performance that the Chiefs put out this weekend and mm-hmm. go, if we emulate that, we might be in with a shot come Trans-Tasman? I think the two challenges with that is that the Chiefs did rely a little bit on the Crusaders not quite being at full strength and having a few yeah. of their own issues. And then the other thing, none of these sides have the same team as the Chiefs. Um, mm. or, or even really that close. I know the Brumbies and Reds look really nice on paper, but the Chiefs, when you look at some of their forwards, like Samasoni Takiyahu is a massive hooker, but he's also developed a really strong set-piece game now, so we don't have anyone that matches that. Um, Brody Retallick, as good as Rod has been, we don't have a lock like that. Jen Holloway, um, please. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. I think we've got our episode quote. Put that as the title. <laughs> um yeah, so I think it is interesting um, because we look at the teams and probably think, oh, well, Crusaders has the best on paper and Blues maybe second best. So um, it, it makes quite an interesting decision. But the Chiefs, when you look through their play and just compare position to position, they've got a really strong team. Um, and the beauty of this, they didn't rest any of their All Blacks um, that consistently throughout the start. So they've had a lot of time together, Yeah. Um, especially the week where uh, they were supposed to play more on Pacific and got the extra week to sort of train and mm. sort of build. So... Yeah, I, I can't see any of the Australian teams trying to play that same way to beat the Crusaders. But it is nice because it shows they're beatable and should at least instill the Aussie sides with a bit of confidence that, oh, okay, that team that everyone I thought was going to win, um, they just got beaten, so maybe we could too. There was a really interesting article that I read actually in the rugby.com.au site from Associated Press in New Zealand. So it's a Kiwi article on the Australian rugby website, which is basically being quite quite scathing or quite critical of the standard of rugby that's currently getting played in their part of the competition. Um, so I'll just give a couple of quotes about that. Is this um, the one and with then, Ben O'Keefe? Uh, I read one today, no, but Ben O'Keefe. No, no. Yeah. All right, so the first quote is... Um, Several try scoring uh, chances were bungled by handling errors and there were many more failings, tactical and technical, which had become almost symptomatic of the New Zealand section of the competition. That's number one. That's number two. While matches between New Zealand teams mostly have been close this season, the standard has been poor. Lack of ball retention and control, poor tactical and kicking options have made most matches low on spectator appeal. Is it just me or like... Do I just have such an inflated opinion of New Zealand rugby that I just disagree with this read? I don't think it's been that poor. I think the, the thing that's telling is there's definitely a few games that stick out, like the Hurricanes versus Highlanders. I think I even said it maybe in an episode. Yeah. I strongly encourage people to not watch that game. <laughs> but the, there are other things where I think New Zealand have such a high standard for themselves um, and expect such high things that they're probably not as excited as they should be. I, I know there's been a lot of extra drop ball um, and that's mm. normally something that's sort of blown out the cobwebs in preseason. I know in New Zealand, the preseason was very highly affected. And just the fact that they were sort of camped out in Queenstown for so long, they probably haven't had the chance to get those calls and get as in sync as they'd like. So I, I can see from that end that they might be unhappy with um, how their particular teams are performing. But realistically, like they're still playing a, a nice quality of rugby. Um, the one thing that maybe makes it look worse is that it's on at the same time as six nations and when you're mm. watching those games 
it's just so clinical. Um, I, I was saying in group chats, like watching the England versus Ireland game, even without uh, a player for what, 78 minutes, that England team looked like it could take on most international teams. It was just everything looked really nice and crisp and big hits, but smart reads. Um, and it's very different to Super Rugby. So I think New Zealand have that, you know, unfortunate double-edged sort of comparing to themselves at their best and also seeing that that's the only other rugby that's on at the moment that's probably in a good viewing time for them, you know, getting that morning uh, watch in. Um, yeah, it's just making it look a little bit scrappier. But, I mean, we, we can't really complain or uh, talk that up just yet because I still get the feeling that their scrappy would be pretty uh, competitive <laughs> yep. over here. So <laughs> I think without a shadow of a doubt. Are we all good here, boys, to be moving on to the locker room? I think so. Let's get into it. Let's go. Well, it's time to enter the locker room now and answer you, our fans, questions. Now, before we do that, though, we have had some breaking news come through about an hour ago at the time of recording. So it may not be breaking news where you are and when you are listening to this, but we thought it was interesting to include anyway. So the news is that Western Force winger Byron Rolston has signed for Irish side Connacht. And Byron is already Irish qualified, which means should the Irish national team choose or want to, they could select him straight away. He doesn't have to wait through for the residency or the four-year uh, period to be selected for them. This is a big move and probably a big loss for the Western Force. What were your thoughts initially around this one, Rev? Well, it's disappointed because he's someone that really lit it up in uh, the NRC. And I thought in the 2020 season when the Force were just sort of, you know, scrounging for players and putting together the squad that they had. Um, he was sort of one of the bright lights and between himself and Fergus Lee Warner were players that stood out as, you know, could potentially be all of his players. And um, yeah, to see him not get any minutes this year, um, kind of behind Matayeli and Tony Pulu, and then also not even being favoured on the bench um, with a specialist fly up and Jake McIntyre and the experience of Richard Kahui. It's, it's kind of a smart call for him. My main hope is that he doesn't get any time in the Irish um, team, the national team. He just gets to play in the Connacht system, get you know a lot of minutes develop, and hopefully come back, um, a la Andrew Callaway or someone like that who you can get a bit of exposure because he's an exciting player. So it won't have any short-term impact for the Wallabies and really not that big a loss for the Force at the moment if there's no injuries. But it is a shame to lose someone of his quality. Yeah, and any thoughts? Oh, look, I think it's just some of the challenge that we have um, not having an opportunity for players to be getting game time if they're not in the super kind of match day squads. This kind of puts the argument out there for that third tier that we've been speaking about for a while to be providing players with additional games and opportunities. That being said, Connacht are a decent team. He does have um, family connections to Ireland. It provides him with an opportunity for an overseas slash, well, yeah, uh, an overseas experience at a professional club where he might well get national opportunities down the track although he won't get parachuted in like mac hansen did his injury cover so it's it's a good move for him personally um he's not one of those players that we're desperately needing to keep in australia but it's just another example of kind of that like that middle tier of talent within australian rugby that we can't keep hold of and so if this keeps on happening um with other players across other clubs then it is yet another example of the player drain within Australian rugby 
so that we don't have that middle depth of talent that we kind of need to remain competitive across full seasons and um, in the international arena too. I think it'd be interesting to see how he goes once he's over there and whether he has the impact that Mac Hansen has had. Um, we know that last year, Rolston got a bit more game time than uh, than this this year so far, which is like none. But he had similar game time last year to Mac Hansen. And I wouldn't say either, if either of the two, I was probably more impressed with Rolston's performances last year and the year before than I was of Mac Hansen. So it'll be interesting to see if he goes over there and has as much an impact for Connacht and is able to... I don't, he Hanson's become a bit of a folklore in some ways, and a lot of people are talking about him, particularly because he was parachuted straight into um, the Irish national side, but also just the 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 performances that he was putting out for Connacht, uh, sorry, he, um, for his his team over there. Um, it will be interesting to see if Byron Rol- Byron Rolston has that same input, and it may then prove to us Australian fans that maybe our players aren't as bad as we seem to. <laughs> Tend to think of them on the international, um, in the international fixtures, but we'll see how that goes, and we'll see if we're talking about him in the next year or two, and if he's having the same input impact. Shall we move into the locker room now and answer some questions? Yeah, let's do it, mate. Awesome. So Ryan sends this in from Twitter, and he says, "You're two players up, five meters away from the try line. Select the option you take: A, scrum; B, kick for line out; C, take the three. Rebels opted for option S for stupidity by taking the tap and running it straight into the Brumbies' remaining players, eventually turning the ball over. Mick Ryan also comments <laughs> after that is Rebels gonna rebel, which is very tongue-in-cheek to Crusaders gonna Crusader. But Rev, what are your thoughts around this? the, I guess, game management and decision-making from the Melbourne Rebels in those dying minutes of their clash against the Brumbies on Friday night? Yeah, it was so dumb. Um, and there was nothing to gain from it. You know, it was six tries to two. So they weren't going to stop Brumbies from getting a bonus point. They themselves weren't going to get a bonus point. It was really just all for pride. And I think, you know, it, it really showed that sort of white line fever of, hey, look, we're close. Let's just try and get over there. Especially because I think you got to the point that played about 85 or 86 minutes of rugby. Their, their game, um, the, the two Friday games both went well over overtime. So yeah, it, it was a really dumb decision and one I'm sure they wouldn't make again, but gee, like it, it kind of sums up how the Rebels are going at the moment, isn't it? Just throwing um, stuff at the wall and seeing if it'll stick. <laughs> <laughs> Let's say throwing spaghetti at the wall, seeing if it'll stick. So, yeah, um, yeah, interesting decision. Not a good one. I guess the only thing that could really come away from this and we might be able, we would, had it happened, been able to say, okay, I can understand that, is if maybe Big Caboose Elof took the quick tap again and, and had another crack mm. a la 2021. But yeah. at this time, it was a definitely a team decision because it happened, I think, twice. So very interesting and another uh, showing of what's going wrong down in Melbourne at the moment. Um, next question comes in from CJM or Rugby Cam Tragic on Twitter and asks, does Brad Thorne give Pattaya another go at fullback for the big match against the Brumbies or revert back to the safe option of Jock Campbell? Ando, what are your thoughts? Oh, look, as a resident Reds fan here, um, I think we should definitely be putting Jock Campbell back there just because <laughs> I actually really like, I rate Jock Campbell big time. But I think um, John Pattaya has shown enough within his stint there this weekend that he should be given another opportunity in my mind. Um, I think you plan on pulling him at about 60 minutes, though. I don't think he has the legs in him and the endurance to be able to play that 
um, position for a full match. So you have Jock Campbell on a wing, ready to move him back and then take um, Pattaya off at about 60 or so minutes. That's my opinion on that one. Any thoughts from you, Rev, being our actual resident Reds fan? Um, my first thought was to give Pattaya another go because obviously they chose the draw match just to make sure he could build a bit of confidence. And I, I think he should have. We, we talked about how well he played in that game and especially attacking-wise, he still offers so much with that extra metres. Against the Brumbies, they, they've got you know quite a strong team. So like it would be nice to have that bit of X factor with that extra space. So um, I, I'd be happy either way, but I think I, I'm slightly leaning to wanting Pattaya to have another go. Okay, cool. Well, let's see what happens. Let's see which way Brad Thorne does go. Uh, next question comes in on Twitter from Sheepy, and he asks, do any Super W teams have what it takes to stop the Fijiana in Drua? What are your thoughts, Ando? Oh, look, it just comes down to that round five match against the Waratahs. That's honestly it. I don't see any of the other teams getting close to the Fijiana in Drua. And so that's just going to be an absolute cracker of the game. Will they be able to hand the Waratahs their first ever defeat in Super W history? So I'm I'm keen to watch that game. It's going to be awesome. I'm keen to get out to it too, actually, because it's. I think it meant it's meant to be played in Sydney. It is a Fijiana home game, but we're not quite sure where they're based at the moment. I think they are based in Sydney, like the um, Fiji men's team, the Indrua men's team. But it will be interesting to see where that does get played. Uh, next question comes was from Mick Ryan on Twitter. The tired old question, Ari, the inconsistent handing out or not handing out of cards. What should be red is now yellow or a penalty. What should be a penalty is now yellow and will be all different again next week. What's doing? How can it be fixed? Go. Rev. Yeah, th- this one's really um, annoying. And as a spectator, it makes it hard because you'll have watched another game over the weekend, seen something happen that was identical and you'll get a different punishment. The one thing that they really need to do, and it, unfortunately it can't be done mid-season, but they need to sit down with the law book and actually have a proper go-through and see which parts can actually be cemented, locked in, and understood. There's still so much grey area. There's still so much that you know is becoming a little bit, You know, do we need to mitigate? Do we need to downplay? Is there a reason why we don't have to go full extreme? Um, and, and that was sort of brought into play even in the test matches this week. And it's just... It's going to be too costly for a fixture. So they're doing a lot around um, tackle height. I think, you know, they need to eliminate all the gray area there because that's still one of the biggest blights on the game. Um, but yeah, I, I agree with Mick. This is a, it's a bit of a joke sometimes about what does and doesn't get pulled up. So all we want is consistency. I don't think anything can happen in this comp unless all the refs just suddenly decide to, uh, I guess, lift the standard. And uh, any thoughts? Yeah, quick take is that we need to use the match review panel a little bit better or the commission, siding commission, whatever it's called, um, and to provide a little bit of leeway where they recognise that sometimes there are just rugby accidents, rugby incidents that happen. Like, I don't think... Um, was it Dane Zander that got yellow carded? Um, uh, Harry Hooper. Harry Hooper. Harry Hooper's yellow card. I thought that was harsh. I thought he was making a motion to try and um, wrap his right arm and just got caught on a body of Taniela Tupo on the right-hand side of him. I didn't think that was worthy of a card. Um, and I didn't think the Fiji, the Fijian players' um, tip tackle as well was worthy of a yellow card. That was a little bit iffy. Um, I it just was think- questionable too because there was two players. Had the second player not joined in the t- the motion of picking the player up, yeah, the initial yeah. player wouldn't have driven him onto his shoulder. So... In that that situation, it sort of feels like you have to either penalise one of them 
or both of like you either do nothing to it and say it's just an incident play on or you give both players a yellow card because I feel like they're both as equally guilty in that situation. Yeah, look, it's it just speaks to again. Um, I understand the need to protect players, and I, I do genuinely agree with that. Uh, I think that it just gets to the point where at times it's over officiated, and there's a part of me that would like the referees to still have ultimate control, but on line ball incidents, they are willing to go on like a rugby league style report system or something where if it's a bit too close to call, it's one of those decisions that's really, really hard to make, then they can do a report. um, And I really like the 20 minute red card that we have. Um, Keeping that is fantastic. So so keep that on, introduce it to international rugby. It just fixes a lot of the problems that um, are present with red cards. My two cents for what they're worth on this issue. I have no issue with the cards that were dealt out in the Reds game, Reds and Drua game. I think the right decision was made in all of those instances. I do understand that fans think it's a bit of a boring spectacle to go through and look at all the replays and actually make that decision, being that there were three incidents within the space of 30 seconds. Um, They could hopefully speed up the process, but I think the right decisions were made ultimately. My biggest frustration as a fan is that there's not consistency across games. Now, in the last two weeks, I've seen incidences happen at games, particularly in the Waratahs ones, where a player has gone up in the air and made contact with the player. The player in the air has then landed dangerously and not, it's not been looked at. Um, and so there was one in the Reds game where Jed Holloway gets pulled um, and lands on his shoulder. And then there was one another instance in this last game where Will Harrison goes up and gets taken out by the Western Force fullback um, who was jumping into him. He, the Western Force player was the one in the air, but he ended up hitting the player who was in a more realistic situation of catching the ball. Um, and none of those instances were actually looked at, and both players ended up getting somewhat injured and were down for a little while and got medical attention. And I'm sitting there as a fan looking at that and going, okay, well, this is probably going to be reviewed and looked at and there'll be some action there, but there was nothing. And so the, the frustration comes when there's instances like that where there's clearly contact in the air by the rule book that should be looked at and, and gone through, but it's not looked at in that instance. And then it's, there's other instances where little off the ball things like in the red situation where they've gone through yeah. everything with a fine tooth comb. So it's the inconsistency in the approaches um, to the framework and looking at certain things. I wouldn't, I wouldn't mind it if it was all above board and everything was looked at the same way, but at the moment it feels like different games are referenced and looked at differently. Uh, next question, we'll move on. Hugh Tindall asks on Twitter, will Liam Wright and Angus Scott Young get their starting spots spots back anytime soon? Getting awkward with Wright as captain. Are we underplaying the Tars win given Gordon Parecki were out? Are the highlight- oh, there's a few questions here. I'll throw the first one to you, Rev, as our Reds uh, resident fan. Will Liam Wright and Angus Scott Young get their starting spots back anytime soon considering Liam Wright is the Queensland Reds captain? Yeah, I think as soon as Wright's back, he goes to six. And while yep. Salakai Lotto's out, I'd put Uru to five in place of Angus Blythe. Um, so that we've got a Ryan Smith, Sarah Uru lock combo. I think we get a nice punch with those two. And Uru's already shown that he can you know, operate a line. He, he got the winning steal and he's he got the height and size. I think that gives us the best mix of um, uh, set piece, but also attacking and defensive ability, having those guys. And then Scott Young uh, from the bench's impact. Are we underplaying the Tars win giving Gordon and Parecki were out, Ando? Yeah, I think so. Because literally the first thing I saw of the game was Tom um, was, oh my God, I'm having a mental Tom break. Tom Horton. 
Tom Horton, thank you. Um, I've even blanked on his name. Um, it was him missing a line-out throw. Uh, literally, I tuned in at like four minutes into the oh, game. So you missed Alex Newsom's drop-off, drop. Yeah, I did. I had no idea what they were talking about. Um, <laughs> and so I came in and just saw that straight away. And it just shows you, in my mind, the golf in ability that there is between Parecki and Horton. Um and like supposedly Jack Grant, well no, Jack Grant was good throughout the game, but again, he's he's not Jake Gordon. And so that's just impressive that they were able to perform with their two two of their most experienced players not present. Yeah. Um so look, I don't think it fundamentally changes how we kind of unpack the game earlier, but it is just another kind of thing to add into the repertoire of how great the Waratahs are. Yep. And I'm I was re- really impressed with Vialanu too coming on for his debut. Um, as a replacement yeah, holder. So I good. would be yep. interested to see how that situation goes with um, Horton and, and Vailanu, who ends up, once Parecki's fit and back, which one takes that second spot? In, in trans- for, Just for transparency, um, Vailanu also missed a couple of line-out throws um, as did. well. So he, he does but need he to has, work in that area. He, so. he has the running game that Horton doesn't have. Yeah, he, he does. I've just ripped on Horton so many times for his line-out throwing. I thought I should be fair-handed. Be consistent. Yeah, fair enough. Yep. Uh, Rev, are the Highlanders effectively out of the Super Rugby Pacific comp now? There's still a really good uh, chance for that sort of eight spot. I think it's really going to come down to probably two things. Um, firstly, how well the force can pick up wins in the rest of the Aussie comp. They need to get um, a win against the Drew badly next week. And then they're kind of in a tough spot because they've got to play the Brumbies, Reds and Rebels again with probably only the Rebels win uh, likely. So they need to do something really big. That's going to be the biggest bridge for the Highlanders. The Highlanders need to start picking up some bonus points. But importantly, um, when they come to Australia, they play the Brumbies and the Reds in Australia. Uh, the Brumbies, they get to play at Melbourne, which is a little bit easier. But that's probably their two hardest games and might be the two games they drop if they are going to lose to the Australian sides. So to me, they've got a lot in their own control, but it's going to come down to them or the force, you'd think for that eighth spot at the moment. So yeah. I'm very keen to see how they battle it out. For it. it will be very interesting to see how it goes. Uh, last question from Hugh. What was the vibe like at Leichhardt? Well, unfortunately this week, Ando and I weren't able to get out to Leichhardt over. I had to work and Ando had to coach some rounded <laughs> bald game. And careful, I even careful, <laughs> careful. Um, I'm the coach for my son's uh, under seven soccer team. Um, and I will let you know that my son didn't run off the field really upset. So that was a win. Um, and look, it was, it was, I'd, I'd, I'd much rather have been at the Waratahs game, but it was good to do that family stuff anyway. So but it, it uh, does look like there was a great vibe at the game. And it the, does. The, yeah. the hill was full. It looked from all all reports on the broadcast, it looked like a very good day out at Leichhardt in the afternoon. Moving on, Sheepy sends in another question. Thank you, Sheepy. We love your input. On Twitter, do you think midweek games will be enough or will that be too draining on Pacifica with some other solution needed to make up COVID-delayed games? Uh, Rev, what are your thoughts around these midweek catch-up games? Yeah, it's way too tough for Pacifica. Uh, I understand for you know the Blues or Chiefs or Crusaders to try and do this because... You know, to them, they've got the squad that could do this. Their second-string players can be quite competitive. But we're expecting a team that at this point has played one out of four games and could very easily miss uh, this week as well with the Highlanders having a few uh, COVID cases in the squad. I think it's a really tough drain on them. The one upside to them is they have, I think, a fortnight in between uh, the Blues game and the next Chiefs game. So the catch-up games they've got midweek 
uh, either side of their buy, which is slightly beneficial to them. Okay. But it's still, it's a really tough situation for them. Um, I, I can't see it going well for them. And I'd nearly be putting all their eggs into the basket of trying to maybe do a full strength team against whichever game the Blues uh, decide to go weak on and the Chiefs decide to go weak on. And then just accept that they're going to get a bit of a, a hammering when they go full strength. I wonder if it, and I don't know if this is probably a uh, a logical or a, a workable solution, but if they just cancel those games and say the team that withdrew and wasn't able to put a team up, the other team gets the points. Um, so then in some ways, Moana Pacifica did m- miss the first two games, but they've now missed potentially two games from the other team pulling out as well. So that might give them some points to get back up on the table as well. Who knows what? That obviously doesn't meet the broadcast requirements of, of games played and that sort of thing though. Any other thoughts around that one? Or should we move on to our final question? Yeah, uh, move on. Okay, last question from Glyn Phillips, and he asks, Brumbies and Queensland play each other twice in the next three weeks. The loss column has to change, but who's going to get the chocolates? Ando, what do you think? One edge. One edge. Um, I, and I'm not just hedging my bets to be boring, but I think that the teams are just a little bit too close to call. Um, they, Much like last season, some of the best games within... Um, the whole of Super Rugby were between Brumbies and the Reds. So I'd be very, very happy to see it go either way. I don't really have, I, I don't personally care um, in that I don't mind which team wins. I've got players that I like across both of the teams and just want to see excellent performances and good games. And I think we're going to get it from both of them. I'd be, um, I'd be worried about the Reds' ability to see out a game against the Brumbies, particularly this one this weekend in GIO and Canberra with their already the injuries they've got. And we saw this week that the, the bench players didn't bring the impact that they would have want, Brad Thorne would have wanted. The Brumbies are not going to relent and they have firepower to bring off the bench. So hopefully the Queensland Reds can bring some players back for that, that matchup in three weeks' time up in Suncorp, um, the rematch of the first game. But I feel like this week the Brumbies are going to be too strong for the Queensland Reds with the current injuries they have. Um, it'd be interesting to see what how things change come week three what are your thoughts rip yeah i think brumbies this week especially gios a no-brainer nearly um especially with the number of players out suncorp's interesting because it has been a real fortress for them um and it's hovering around that time where you might expect players like mcdermott back you might get you know one or two more of either Wright or scott young back and salakaloto might even be pushing for a return at that point um so there's a chance but i still look at just so many key positions where I just think we're out, uh, out gunned and mm. loose had props. The the Brumbies are so stacked, yeah. but Hooker they're so stacked. There's so much onus on Tupo to get everything right if we're to send a chance. So, I I probably actually see Brumbies winning both unless um we get quite lucky with who's available for the uh, Suncorp battle. And just remember as well that the the Fortress Suncorp will the run will be ended the week previous when the Waratahs <laughs> beat the Reds at Suncorp. So. They lose in GIO this week. They lose at home against the Waratahs next week, and then they get beaten again by the Brumbies. So, Ray on the trot. Wouldn't that be a real upset? Uh, lucky we've got that. Um, the bye week in the middle. Okay, the Waratahs should be fine. <laughs> <laughs> well, I will be up in Brisbane yeah. for that one, yeah. so I'm very much looking forward to that. My first appearance at Suncorp Stadium, so that will be good. But I think that brings us to the end of the pod. So before. 
we do wrap things up and, and move into the press conference. I want to sh- do a massive shout out to Rev for joining us. And this, unfortunately, will be his last appearance on the pod for a little while. He's taking some maternity leave and some time off for family things coming up. So we wish you all the best with that, Rev. And we thank you for your contribution so far and look forward to when you're um, ready and able to get back on the pod to uh, give a bit of a different perspective to what Ando and I bring. No, thanks very much. It's been great coming on and it, it's been a real shame that this year has been so, I, I guess, disrupted from my end and I haven't been able to join as frequently. But yeah, it's always so much fun to talk about um, rugby and to go through all the different details. And I think the lens that the three of us bring as a combo is always quite nice and uh, it's, it's always so good to see the level of fans that come to pick and drive to hear the quality chat because it's a real communal podcast. So I'm very grateful and I think the people listening, um, you know, uh, quite excited by what you guys bring so that they'll be still coming uh without me in fact there might even be a few more awesome waratahs <laughs> fans coming without me <laughs> all right mate well it's been an absolute pleasure thank you for all that you've done and best of luck for the coming weeks mate can't wait to hear the good news when it all comes around so thanks again thank you well thanks everyone for getting to this point in the podcast we do have the press conferences for the waratahs and western force game up next as we said previously, Ando and I unfortunately weren't able to make it out to the game. So we do have the audio for the press conferences, but unfortunately we weren't there to ask your questions. Hopefully, Ando will be there next week at the Melbourne Rebels game. Any indication? <laughs> my Ando? wife's away for the weekend, so I've got the kids. I'll see if I can take so my two boys into the post-match press conference. The Anderson boys <laughs> will all be there in full voice. Fantastic. Oh, my God. Taking um, a two-year-old into a press conference. Yeah, that'll go well. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, thank you, everyone, for getting to this point. We will catch you next week. And give us a like, a follow, and a retweet on Twitter. All right. See you, team. Bye. Nice to go win like her. Yeah, it's unreal. Yeah, it was, uh, yeah, probably not as uh, sharp as we wanted in the second half, but yeah, just winning is important. After the last two weeks, we've been in at Navin. That's uh, it's a happy change room, which is important. What was the most pleasing aspect today? <sighs> First half was just our control and our maturity. I thought we we exited well. We played when we need to play. And although we didn't score tries, I think our attacking ball movement put pressure on, caused penalties, and we, we got three at a time. That was the first half. Second half, not too much on the attack side of things, but, geez, we defended tough. Like, they must have had, I don't know how many attempts at Maul, and how they were camped in our A zone, in our D zone for long periods, and we just kept turning them away. They, they played tough in defence. When did you know Jake wasn't going to be one? Uh, we did that Wednesday. But we were sort of holding out hope a bit, a bit so, longer. So Jack was well prepared. Yeah, yeah, yeah he, he had a good week of prep, so it was good. First half sharp, wasn't he? He got out and was busy and enterprising. Um, like all of them, I reckon. Probably that second half, he could have controlled a couple of things. We had not such control, but we just had some errors, which didn't enable us to get any points to sort of keep the scoreboard ticking over. And that uh, while I was still. Well, Stephen, they were just in that striking range. I was going to keep trying. If we could have scored early or at some point, they might have uh, knocked the fire out of them. Tracking saying it's that's a new while out. He wasn't available, or was that? Sort of- no, that was yesterday. Yeah, he got an infection that just didn't clear up. He didn't train all week, but we gave him right till yesterday. 
and uh, it didn't it didn't um, come good. But um, stoked for the two boys that stepped in. I thought, oh, that was really good. Our scrum was super dominant, and. <clears throat> Mark came on and he was quite uh, powerful in attack, made a couple of big carries and uh, threw a nice ball there on a, on a cutout pass to Belly and hit his lineouts for the most part. And scrum, scrum battle swung a bit. I don't know if that was purely Mar, but they had, by them with Holmes and Reedy on, I think they're a stronger, potentially stronger scrummaging group for them at the end. So with that first half attack, we're going to say that the 10-15 combo, Donaldson and Harrison really just stood up. How did you sort of see that combination working together? Yeah, it worked well. It's sort of what I'd hoped. Um, just, I was just really pleased with the variety and how we exited. We obviously scored a lot of penalty goals and they'd kick off into that left corner and the last week, couple of weeks we've been stuck in that corner. Whereas uh, Harrow got a couple of nice left footers away. Another time he shifted across the Dono. He got us up over halfway. Um, yeah, they just sort of interplayed quite well together. It looked all right. Thanks for the Jed. Um, first game standing up as captain. When did you find out and sort of what was the emotions and sort of the change of prep as well? Uh, DC let me know Wednesday when Jake got necked up. He just said, be ready. Um, but for me, not too much, no. Um, the boys really, you know, helped me out. I got... Great guys around me in Hugh Sinclair and, and Alex Newsom, who's, who's been in this role before, and um, yeah, nothing really changed for me, no. You're just going to be dominant. In that second half, the defensive shape before, it's like you guys like Charlie Gamble and yourself really just stood up just to get those turnovers. How, from a place perspective, how crucial is that just, to, just building confidence heading forward for the rest of the season? Yeah, it's great. I was, I was really proud of uh, the defensive effort in that second half, you know, as DC touched on. It's not probably not what we would have wanted. Ideally, we want to keep on going, keep that foot on the throat after that first half performance. But, mate, we defended for basically that whole second half and they probably had, you know, six or seven shots at Maldi and Charlie was just around the ball every time, mate. He was, he was massive today and he's been massive for us all, all, all year. And, um, you know, with Hoops coming back, that that competitiveness around that seven role was, is only going to be better for our team. Very messy game. Did you try to, uh, to get into the air of the ref? Like, any good <laughs> um, mate, no, I, I just kind of let it all play out. We just tried to let him know when we were going for scrum penalties. Uh, just try to give him heads up, get in his ear around that sort of stuff. But with with that, like I feel like if you get in his ear too much, it almost swings a little bit. Um, so I just let him ref the game and do his job. Thanks, guys. Thanks, guys. Thanks, boys. Tim, you guys took the penalty late on. I guess you just wanted to salvage something from the match. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, it was a good decision to do that. Um, yeah, I think obviously if the opportunity there to get that bonus point, uh, you got to take it. Yeah, absolutely. What do you make of the your guys' performance? Uh, yeah, not not great. Um, uh, really let ourselves down in that first half. Um, we had too many just soft penalties. Uh, set, set piece didn't fire. I don't think we controlled coming out of our own 40 metres too well. So just some basic, probably fundamentals and game management which, which let us down. Uh, Ill discipline you know, in that first half. Mid second half, I guess it looked like we were going to be a scoreless second half. Got the only points in the second half. Yeah. Anything you can take from that? Well, yeah. I mean, just. Yeah, just too little too late. I think we played with desperation and when we played with desperation it's 
showed how we can play and how we should play for the full game. Um, just can't tap in and out of games like that. Uh, let the opposition off the hook easily, and that that was a trait for probably 50, you know, to 60 minutes there today was uh, was all our wrongdoings. Um, so that's yeah, it's disappointing. Taking that second half, you had countless chances at that line, but just demoralised how strong you couldn't find a way through. Does that just come down to just executing those basic skills that you mentioned? Yeah, I think they, yeah, also got held up a few times out of the try line, and uh, the opposition showed a lot of desperation with the goal line defence, but. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, those rolling balls, I think we're right, we're getting the ascendancy there, but um, we, we just couldn't finish it off, which is disappointing. So, building for the Fiji next week, so you're going 1-3, one, one, probably two games you think you probably should have had a run being close in. How do you sort of keep that confidence up and just heading into the rest of the season? Yeah, I think we, we just got to stay tight, mate, and, um, you know, there's, there's no issues with that, you know, within our club. Uh, <clears throat> you know, the guys are gutted, obviously, and... We all take responsibility for, for losses, um, so it's just staying on the front foot, staying together, uh, have a good week's prep again uh, for Fiji next week. Thanks for letting you, you're upset to know that it's really seen like that first time is just trying to get sentence in for the just especially at scrum time, just to see the come over the top of you. Is that, that how you say it? Or? Yeah, we just weren't good enough in, in your um, you know, key areas of set piece and, and exiting your own half. Discipline, like Sam touched on, and uh, you know, against a quality opposition like the Waratahs, you, you can't expect to, um, you know, get any ascendancy or get ahead um, if you come out of the blocks like that. So it comes out, it's particularly I think it was Kunzu was kicked to the line, I think 50 minutes, 50 minutes out, missed touch, ends up going to um, going down goal. Is it just sort of, you believe, simple mistakes you can fix and be ready to go by Yeah, obviously, you know, everyone's, um, you know played a part in the result today, uh, myself included, you know, some, some key errors at, uh, errors at set piece, um, but, you know, we've got to take a look at the whole collective and, and um, see how we can turn this thing around.